0: Let me say a word of prayer as we we ramp up here. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your word given to us and uh, which we have the privilege to study and to learn from and grow. Thank you, Lord, for the witness of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as your servant Joseph, who so clearly shows forth and foreshadows the ministry of your son, our Savior Jesus. Bless our study this morning, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see you present in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, So I seem to have given away my own handouts. But uh, the first question I want to kick off with, I do remember this, which is to ask, and even in the sermon I mentioned about a a, a dream, do you think that God still speaks through dreams? And if so, have you ever experienced this? If you're open to to sharing. So what do you all think? Is, Is this a way that God, it's clearly throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, God's getting through to people through dreams. You think he's still doing that, or is that kind of... Connie says, oh yeah, definitely. Lily, you're kind of, you're not so sure. A little bit, a little bit shady. Um, I won't do a show of hands here, but I mean, I, I, you know, I think that there's something to be said. for. We don't have promises from like, okay, you will get this, you know, X number of dreams or what have you. But the testimony of Christians through the ages and in different parts of the world seems to suggest that God continues to... Use dreams in any case. Yeah, Laura. I think God definitely can speak through dreams, but I definitely have experienced, like, I mean, we've all had super awful dreams from, like, that was definitely not God. That was just like, right. you know, you know, a you know, bad know, burrito. Before bed yeah. Like, right. Um, and I've also had people have dreams and then they're like, do you think God's saying something? And in my head, I'm like, no, no, he's not saying <laughs> <laughs> something. Sure. Yeah, that's well put. That he can, but maybe he doesn't always. And um, we might not want to over-interpret, over-read into it sometimes. Now, I did learn from Pastor Newton. This was interesting. Um, He shared, and maybe I I hesitate to bring this up because you're all going to want to grab him. Um, He's not here today, so I can tell. But um, he, he shared that as a missionary overseas, in the Philippines, because this was, a, and you hear about this a lot, in kind of new mission fields where the Gospels first going out. More folks are receiving visions and dreams. He said that uh, dream interpretation was just like a standard part of his ministry. People would come to him with dreams, and he would help to in- interpret them according to um, God's truth. So, you know, he, he has that gift. Don't come to me. I'm not a dream interpreter. I'm, I don't have this gift that Joseph does. Um, or Daniel, at least to my knowledge. Uh, so, yeah. But, yeah. but other thoughts or experiences anybody cares to share of a dream that has been um, influential or impactful in, in your life? Yeah, Sandy? I dreamt one time that I went to heaven, mm. and I saw a, a man stand, standing at a distance, and instantly I knew it was Jesus. hmm Yeah. But for like months afterwards, I had this piece of all. Yes. That I can't explain. Sure. And it and it was just I don't know if God was trying to tell me something. Right. I mean, I have no idea, but it was just. Yeah. Was wonderful. No, that's that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Sandy. So Sandy just sharing like having a vision of, and a dream of of seeing the Lord. And it, it, we don't in that case it's like don't overthink it. Like it's it's a source of encouragement and comfort. Like hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Well, as we get into this section of, of Genesis, and we've uh, surely turned the corner, we're here getting toward the end, uh, Joseph is put into a situation where he's doing some dream interpretation, goes well for some people, not as well for others, um, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Let's briefly just kind of go uh, overview, as we have been, through these chapters. So this past week, we've been following along with our Dwell Richly readings, we looked at Genesis chapters 39 through 47. A lot happened in these chapters. It was really the, the heart of the Joseph narrative. In uh, chapter 39, we see God starting to train and prepare Joseph. And you have this story of him, of being tempted by Potiphar's wife, and uh, Joseph resisting that temptation, and yet nevertheless finds himself in difficult straits, where now he ends up in prison because, um, you know, lies are, are told about him. And so uh, he goes that way. But all the while, God is preparing him for what's to come. In chapter 40, Joseph is down there in the clink with the cupbearer and the baker of the king. And these were important jobs, right? These are guys who were right there, uh, you know, at the king's side. You need to know, you, you, you got to have a good cupbearer if you're a king. Somebody that you can trust. He's not going to be putting stuff in there that uh, could bring your untimely demise. They have a couple of dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams um, for the, the cupbearer. It's good. For the baker, not so good. But in both cases... The dreams are verified and validated. Well, so then in chapter 41, Pharaoh's having dreams of his own. Fat cows, skinny cows, what does this mean? And they say, oh, we've got a guy who can interpret dreams for you. So he calls Joseph. Joseph gives him the interpretation of the dream, which jives with him. He's like, okay, I think that's that's right. I think that's true. Uh, Joseph makes clear this doesn't come from him. It comes from the Lord. But in any case, now he has been you know, risen to power. He becomes kind of the, the second in command. Chapter 42 is the first time then we see Joseph's brothers come to Egypt because of this famine that has come throughout the land. They're looking for some food, they need some grub. They go down to, to uh, Egypt because there, there has, uh, there's still ample stores and they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, they don't recognize him. And so he starts kind of testing them along the way. Chapter 43, they, they had left and they come back in chapter 43. Chapter 44, Joseph tests his brothers again. And Judah, who before had looked like kind of a bum, honestly, uh, now he steps up. And it's this great speech. I think I'd read that it's the longest speech in the uh, book of Genesis. Belongs to Judah there as he's making this case. And Joseph, finally, he's just uh, overcome with emotion. And so in chapter 45, reveals himself to his brothers his true identity and they are freaked out when they find that out <laughs> but then things things get good chapter 46 then and what's really all you know had been this culmination this long arc Jacob's story now Jacob reconnects with Joseph moves to Egypt himself and brings the family and now we're seeing kind of the 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 precursor to what is going to happen in the book of Exodus. Why are the Israelites not in the promised land? Why are they down in Egypt? Well, we, we see why and how many years later they're going to need to leave Egypt again. But then chapter 47 is, is the whole family settling there in Egypt. All right, so a lot here in these chapters. Let's get to your questions. I've got some questions for discussion if you don't have any off the bat, but let's open it up. What do, what do you got? Dave. Israel. Yeah. Not, I mean, it'll mm-hmm. actually say, you know, Jacob, and yep. it'll say Israel. Yeah. And it's like, why, why don't they just consistently call Israel throughout from when God yes. gave them the name? Yes. That's a good question. And um, so Dave's asking, why does, why is this back and forth with Jacob's name? So just quick recap. You remember, I mean, his name is, is Jacob, the deceiver, right? And this has been true for his, his whole life long. He's been, he was deceitful with his brother. We see him uh, being all, all kinds of trickery, right? Um, but then, having wrestled with the Lord, he's given this new name, Israel, one who strives with God, one who wrestles with God. Uh, but still, in these chapters, in particular, I think it um, stands out in, where is it? It's chapter 46, 47, where it it's this back and forth so yeah uh, chapter 46 verse 1 so israel took his journey with all that he had and came to beersheba and offered sacrifices to the god of his father isaac and god spoke to israel in visions of the night and said jacob jacob he said here i am so that god himself addresses him there as jacob now I've got thoughts on this, but before I, I do, what did you have did that strike anybody else? And if so, or even if not, did you have any thoughts or impressions of why there might be this kind of back and forth of those two names still? Yeah, Ellen. Oh, are you raising your hand? Um, I'm not sure. And I'm not sure, but it's like we're given a name in our know, symbolness. Creation. Yes. So God gives us a new name. Yeah. Uh, that's separate, different. Right. I'm not sure I'm saying that. Well, no, I mean, so he has he has this name that it, that reminds him of his sinfulness, of the old the old Jacob, right? The old creature. But then God gives him this new name, which is, you know, bespeaks his new the new creation uh, that of who he is. But is there something about still being reminded is there some value to still remembering where you've come from even as you have this newness about you too yeah becky it's like when you comfort a kid who's maybe growing up use the name you call them when they're a kid oh i like that Can't remember yep <clears throat> yeah, yeah. still got your back yeah.
1: So, yeah and now here we go on the next step and yeah
0: let's get us Yep, I think that's spot on. So Becky's saying, you think of of how as adults, you have adult children, how you might refer to um, a child as you did when they were younger. And it's kind of harkens back to um, the the length of that relationship and that you have that that long-term connection. And I've been with you through all of that. I think it's another way of God saying to Jacob slash Israel here, hey, I see you, I know you, right? But you're still mine and harkens back to that. Yeah, good. I mean, I think that really hits the nail on the head. He's, he continues to have, in theological terms, we call this the simul justus et peccator, that he is simultaneously saint and sinner. That's a theological idea that's, that's true of all of us, but it, we, we see it true here. Even though he's given that new name, he's still Jacob, right? He, and he still does some of his sneaky moves. We'll see that yet here in the book of Genesis, right? He's not done yet. He's got a couple more tricks up his sleeve. And so it speaks to that that dual identity that he still has as sinner and as saint. But also it is reminding, uh, reminds to him, especially out of the mouth of the Lord, that he's been with him every step of the way. He is, the God is the God who knew him as Jacob and still loved him and still claimed him and knows him now as Israel as well, the one who wrestles with him. So, yeah, good question, Dave. Other questions from these chapters? Things that have struck you or stood out to you or just comments you wanted to make about um, chapters 39 through through 47? Things that stood out to you? Yeah, Esther. What was the significance of, of Benjamin getting five times more? Yeah, I love that. I love that detail. So Benjamin finally makes his way back with, uh, you know, at first they had left him behind because they're like, gosh, this is the... This is the, the son of Jacob's old age, of Israel's old age. This is the, you know the one that he it, it's he 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 couldn't stand to lose him. So they hadn't brought him at first, but then they didn't do bring him. And Joseph, of course, recognizing, seeing his, his little brother, his baby brother, you know, brings them all a feast and gives to Benjamin five times more than all the rest. It kind of just, it cracks me up actually to hear that. Like you know, Benjamin's eating Thanksgiving and everybody else is eating Lent. I guess you know, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's a great big feast. Um, what's the significance of that? I think it, it speaks to the affection that Joseph has for his younger brother. Again, he's the only one who's a, a whole brother and they both have the same uh, mom and dad because they were the only two sons of, uh, of Rachel and that closeness of connection to him. And I think you know, if you wanted to go even further, just spiritual interpretation of it, just the way that God is, is constantly favoring the younger, the one who should be, um, overlooked or undervalued, yeah. and saying, I'm going to heap more and more upon you. So, did you have any other thoughts on it, or was there anything that stood out? Well, just David was true, you know, special too. Yes. The yep. He was the youngest, the shepherd, yep. You know. I mean, this is a pattern that we see throughout the scriptures. Yeah, Dave, you want to? Um, are you talking about earlier? And uh, well, wasn't it Reuben that had said that, or did Benjamin also say? Um, no, that's okay. Well, I mean, there's so many names and details. I've, I'm with you, but yeah. Oh, Jim, yeah. In these early days, while we're still talking about Genesis and the creationism uh, timeline, where would the other peoples of the their realm? Of children of Israel have come from which tribe? Like Egypt, Egypt Egyptian, uh, you know. What line of people are they coming yeah. from? Yeah, right. Um, that's spelled out for us, I think, in chapter chapter ten, right? I mean, we could we could look there real quick because it does. Um, let's see. If so, if you if flip back to Genesis chapter ten, and let's see, where does. Egypt. Um, if somebody sees it, just go ahead and, and shout it out. So Genesis 10 is the table of nations. Oh, okay. There it is. Chapter six. So one of the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, yep. Put, and, and Canaan. That's yep. What I would have guessed. yep. 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 Um, so, I mean, it just, we're seeing this is, and that's one of the things that will be important to remember when we get into the book of Exodus that the Egyptians, we think of the Egyptians as the villains, as the bad guys that God's against. And for sure, he's calling them to account. But at the same time, even with the plagues, God makes clear that the reason he's doing this is to show that he is the Lord of all the earth. And his heart, his desire, is for Pharaoh and the Egyptians to repent. Right? I mean, he wants them to believe in him. So they're, they belong to him too. Yeah, good question. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Ellen. Oh, yeah. What would have happened without that, without that repentance? Which, where are you talking about now? The, um, I'm I he does that long speech. Oh, Judah? Yeah. In chapter 44. Yes, and that, that's in front of when Jacob gets emotional, and you can see, like, a break. maybe he's forgiven them in some kind of, like, uh, you know. But the heart, that kind of breaks, right? At that point, right. There's a true forgiveness. Yes. But without that repentance, what might have happened? Well, so then we're getting into the realm of conjecture, but it's a good question. So Ellen's asking. So we see, we see some some genuine contrition and repentance from uh, Joseph's brothers, where they're finally owning up to what they did, right? They're finally, re- and he's overhearing things, right? He, he overhears them talking about like, God's getting us now, guys. <laughs> like, you see what we did? And uh, at this point, what would have happened if, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to say, I guess, for sure, because, but we do get the sense, let's think of it this way. So Joseph, okay, he goes through prison, he goes through slavery, he goes through all of that, but then he finally rises to power. Could he, if he had wanted to, go and hunted down his his brothers at that point? Absolutely. He had the means, he had the wherewithal to do that. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Now, does that mean that he had, at that point, already totally forgiven them and forgotten? Maybe, maybe not. We, we can't say. But I think it does, and his, his speech reflects a man who has been through adversity and who has recognized the hand of the Lord with him in and through that. So that even if he is perhaps not totally ready to forgive them the way that he eventually does, having heard their expressions of contrition and, and uh, repentance, he is, in any case, ready to move forward knowing, you know what, God's with me. This was really hard, you know. I, I didn't love being, being a slave and going through everything, but God was with me and ultimately it was, it was to the good. And because, and he's going to, well, we'll talk more about this in a second, but he's saying, if it weren't for this, a lot of people would die. But God worked through it. So, but more on that in just a moment before we do. Other, other questions or other sections from these chapters that jumped out at you you want to ask about? Go ahead, Hans. Um, Potiphar's wife. Yeah. Do you think she was a little uh, afraid when Joseph comes out? Huh? Ah, it's a, so, yeah. So, just like Joseph's brothers, is, is Potiphar's wife also like, oh, gosh, Joseph's back? Now he's number two. I would think so. Again, can't, can't say for certain, but you sure would think like, oh man, I'm, I'm due for it here. But uh, I mean, Joseph shows himself a man of mercy in many respects. And that's another one. Yeah. And something to point out too about the, the Potiphar story that I think is, is significant. Um, I'm, I'm always hesitant to like overly moralize these stories, but I, there are still lessons to be learned in terms of just godly conduct. And one of the things that stood out to me about that story uh, was that, and so this is in chapter 39, and uh, verse 10. Okay, well, so there's the, you know, Potiphar's wife keeps pursuing him and, and trying to tempt him and seduce him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then verse 10, it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Uh, how did he do that? You know, la 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 la, I'm not sure. <laughs> But that, to my mind, um, called back to the garden. And you'll recall this, that where things first go south for Adam and Eve is in precisely this, um, that, let's see, this is in in Genesis 3, you know, the serpent starts talking to and and tempting the woman, and uh, she listens to his voice. She listens to the, the voice of the serpent, and then ultimately, you know, succumbs to that temptation. And just strikes me that Joseph just—he won't even listen. He won't—he won't get in the ring there with with it and say, "Well, I can probably stand up to this." And, you know, it feels kind of kind of nice to just be tempted in this way for a little while. He won't even do it. He's not even going to listen to it. So I find that really significant for him. Yeah. Jim. And the last bullet, Jacob described his life as a sojourn. Yeah. And and that's an interesting question: what, what, in what ways is life like a journey? Because Traveling consistently, both in physical sense and spiritual sense. Right. And you, ch- you get checked as you turn wrong mm. every so long yeah. uh, along the path of life, so to speak. Yes. And so it is like traveling and then coming back to the, the straight path. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, this is a. So um, what Jim's referring to, I put a, a question on here. This goes to chapter 47, so the, the end of our reading. Um, this struck me in. Chapter 47, verse 7, Joseph brings in Jacob, his father, and stands him before Pharaoh. Jacob blesses Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Okay, how old are you? And verse 9, Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. It's recognition that he is a sojourner. And this is a theme that gets picked up throughout the scriptures, the notion that we travel as, as uh, pilgrims through this land, right? Um, that we are awaiting and looking forward to, I mean, you go to Hebrews chapter 11, especially picks up this theme of, of Abraham being a sojourner and looking ahead to the promised land. To me, I find this to be, I mean, it's interesting. It don't, you don't have to have moved many times or at all still to have this sense that life is a journey, right? Right? You can, just that wending and things go back and forth. And there, you, like you say, there's check-ins all along the way where God keeps calling us back to the path to follow him. And that's the, the summons of our Lord Jesus. Even you think of at the end of the Gospels when Peter, who had strayed from the path pretty profoundly, denying his Lord, what is Jesus' call to him? Come follow me, right? Let's get back on the path and go forward. So, I think it's a rich image that's used for the life of faith. They talk about the walk of faith and so forth. It's all connected with that idea of the sojourn. Good. Yeah, yeah, that reminds me of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress.
1: Yes, prayers.
0: exactly. So Pilgrim's Progress, you know, uh, John Bunyan, Christian is the pilgrim in that story. And that notion of, of the Christian faith as a pilgrimage, it's very deep in the tradition, very much so. Okay, well, let's spend a little bit more time with um, this scene, the climactic scene that everything's been building toward in chapter 45. Where, um, as Ellen alluded to, so Judah gives this speech to um, where he's, he's basically, he's recognizing um, their wayward ways and how now he wants to put himself forward kind of vicariously, which to me, I think is just, it's cool because remembering that Jesus is going to come from the line of Judah like, oh, here we see Judah kind of foreshadowing that, even before he had been a little bit of a weenie. But now he's, he finally, he has changed. He has grown and matured in, in his recognition. I want to read through these verses, and I think this is just one of the most powerful pictures. Throughout his story, Joseph is a, what we call a type of Christ. And so this is kind of a technical term. You've got your type and your anti-type. Okay? So the, the type is like the, the foreshadowing, the, um, and it could be a person, such as Joseph. It could be a, an object, such as the temple. It points forward to a fulfillment, to an anti-type in Christ. So Christ is our, he is the fulfillment of the temple and the presence of God. He's the fulfillment of the, the sacrifices. He's the greater David, great David's greater son. But I, he's also the greater Joseph. And I think Joseph is just a beautiful type. Picture, foreshadowing of our Lord Jesus. So, having said that, let me read these verses. I want you to hear and think about, try to, try to pick out what are some of the ways in which Joseph here reflects or anticipates um, the life and ministry of our Lord. Then Joseph couldn't control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. All right, let's stop there. What stands out to you about that passage? What piece is that? Yeah, Ann. They don't believe that it's him. Yeah. Like, Like when Jesus rose. Yes. I Guy that we know? Yeah, so there's that sense of of just disbelief, like how could this be possible? You might say it's too good to be true, mm-hmm. or I mean in this case, maybe not too good, like they're just so shocked, that it's not necessarily good news for them, right? Well, it's the same with the resurrection. It's true. And Mark brings it out where they ran away from the grave and that's where the gospel ends. Yeah, that's right. Oh crap, this guy's back. He's back. <laughs> Yeah, they're dismayed at his presence because they're thinking, oh, man, we're going to get it now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, other things. Yeah, Hans? Do you think that the uh, uh, scared... Uh, okay, we'll come back to you. Yeah, no, okay. yeah go ahead, Jeff. The, the forgiveness. He's like, you treated me wrong. He's like... Turn your back on me. Yes. Let awful things happen to me. You're forgiven. Yeah. Come, come have a feast. Come live with me. Right. Like even though you did all these things, I'm going to do all these good things for you. Yes. I mean, this, this is mercy. I mean, uh, we make a, a, a contrast, they're complementary mercy and grace. So grace is uh, receiving what you don't deserve, and mercy is when you don't receive what you do deserve. And here we see both of them, right? Because what they do deserve is judgment. What they do deserve is to be you know, beat up, if not worse. Um, but then furthermore, there's this grace, this heaping helping of, of providing for them. He doesn't just forgive them and be like, all right, you're forgiven, but good luck surviving this famine. But he's like, you are forgiven. And oh, by the way, you know, come to the feast, move here. I'm going to settle you all. Yeah. Oh, it's powerful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He comforts them. He says don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed, yeah. I know. I know. It's just it's incredible when he's like and he even tells them, he's like, Don't beat up your don't don't beat up on yourselves, you guys. (laughs) Like, really? I mean at least let them beat up on themselves a little bit. You know, like you gotta enjoy this moment just a little bit. Like, I know, I know, no, go ahead, guys, I know. You were dumb. I no, please tell me more about how dumb you were. Um, Okay, Hans, did you think of it? Um Oh, good. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, do you feel that maybe the uh, brothers yep. were blinded by God? Right. I'm trying to think. I don't think that the scripture says that explicitly, but that's a great um, co- uh, comparison text to bring out, the road to Emmaus, that really in these chapters leading up, where you remember in the story, the road to Emmaus, it's the, the day of the resurrection and Jesus is walking with some disciples. He doesn't reveal himself to them and he's more kind of, Teasing them out a little bit, like, "Oh, why are you guys so sad? What's been going on?" And there's something very similar to that here, where Joseph knows them; they don't know him, and he's he's testing them and kind of seeing, similarly, where's their faith and where's where their hearts at. Yeah, esther uh, true. Reminds me of Joseph weeping and yep. Jesus was in Jerusalem and weeping. Yeah. Yes, so that weeping of Joseph reminds us of the weeping of Jesus. Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because they would not repent. Um, but also, of course, every confirmation student's favorite memory verse, John 11:35. Jesus wept. It's a whole verse. And this is something that, that struck me. I'll tell you a, a quick story. I was reading this while we were in St. Louis this week. I, I got up early went to a coffee shop because I thought, here, it'll just be nice and quiet. I'll get some time. Uh, to myself, and the Lord said, because <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was I was reading um, the earlier chapters where, it, you know, Joseph just needed that place to weep. He sought a place to weep, and it had really you know stood out to me ab- about that. And Just thinking about, and I, I wrote about my um, email of how the church is like one of the last places where it's okay to weep publicly. Like you, you don't cry in public, especially if you're a dude, but like at church you can. And anyway, so this guy. Sits down, kind of catty corner from me at the coffee shop, and I'm reading, not looking for conversations, but he's like, hey, what are you reading? <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, just, just reading scripture. He's like, I saw you had a tiny book with small letters. I thought that might be the Bible. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is indeed. But he, was like, he asked me what I was reading, and so I, I told him that about Joseph weeping and just me thinking about the church as a place to weep, and he's like, that's far out. That's really cool. Church, place to weep. I like that. Now, I won't tell you the rest of the conversation because it got only weirder from there, but he at least resonated with that idea of a church being a place to, to weep. So, but it's a, that's another connection for sure between Joseph and Jesus. Any other ones that you um, that pick up on? Lily. Well, is it- Joseph, he was a little yeah. arrogant. Yes. Like, I'm gonna, you guys are gonna bow down to me one day. Right. So they beat him up and sold him. Like maybe he's like realizing, you know, having been humbled, like I might have kind of
1: been deserved it a little I, bit. Yeah, but just a, a little tiny bit, yeah. right, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, that's a really good point. And I think this is another way in which we see, and why this is just such a, a beautiful story where we get to see this arc. I alluded to Judah and the way that he changes over it. But Joseph too, and I think you're right, when we first meet Joseph, he's 17. He's, I think, a little bit proud. He's certainly imprudent with how he um, speaks to his brothers. Whereas now he's undoubtedly a man who has been humbled by life, who has been brought low and recognizes, you know what, I have nothing to be proud of. God is the one who has brought me here and I'm just grateful. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I, there's so much here with, with Joseph and Jesus uh, that I think it's just really neat. And so just a few verses from the New Testament that... Um, came to my mind as I was reflecting on this. First and foremost, on that notion of forgiveness and the mercy toward his persecutors, the Lord on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, this is with Joseph forgiving his brothers, you see just a little glimpse of that kind of mercy. And similarly, in Acts chapter 2, this is the proclamation, the preaching of Peter, that all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And we didn't touch on this too, but I mean, Joseph even uses that language that God has made him to be what over Egypt? Lord and, and ruler. So here he's, he's Lord in a, an earthly sense, horizontal if you will. Jesus, Lord of all, you crucified him. But then Jesus says, like Joseph, come near, let me show you mercy, even though you are responsible for my death. And then just in a bigger picture of just God's providential care Famous verse from from Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And this is a verse that sometimes can be a little bit dangerous. I think in a recent sermon I talked about verses pulled out of context can be dangerous sometimes. And this is one that can be cold comfort if you just quote it to somebody who's going through a tough time. and say, Oh, you know, all things work for good to those who love God. That can be a way of just saying, you know, fuck up. It's going to be okay. Okay. But this is one of those verses that in retrospect I think is really powerful and you can testify of times in your life where you've been able to look back and see, you know what? God really does orchestrate all things to the good of those who love him. I might not have been able to see it in the moment. I certainly, if somebody had said this to me, I would have said, posh, like I don't want to hear anything about it. But Joseph, having ruminated on these things, had a lot of time to reflect on it in prison and through these years of service, is able to look back and say, wow, God was with me through all of this. And I didn't understand it, certainly didn't want it, but he has blessed it and worked through it, even in spite of me. And then one last verse that calls to mind, again, to this notion that it's not just mercy, but also grace, heaping provisions like Benjamin-esque portions of grace. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus comes not only to forgive our sins, which he undoubtedly does, but to give to you and me life and life eternal, keeping helpings of life given to us in this age and in the age to come, as he tells the disciples, a hundredfold more than we could ever ask for or imagine. What a a gift. Here's my parting thought for you as this week we wrap up with the book of Genesis. Uh, Looking at, at Jacob there, leaning over his staff, telling Joseph, take my bones back to the promised land. As he, on his place of burial, he's keeping an eye on the promise. And it just it strikes me that our church cemetery here is Pilgrim Home, right? It's Pilgrim Home Cemetery. We are but pilgrims sojourning in this present life, looking forward to the promised rest that we have in Christ and the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. So thank you all for your uh, continued participation. Finish up, enjoy the last few chapters of Genesis here, and we'll start getting into Exodus. Very exciting. God be with you.